Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. Let's talk about calling for a second. Calling is a hot topic. People are always talking about calling. Am I called to this? Am I called to that? Should I date this person? Should I go down that career path? Should I take this job? Should I take that major? Like, what is the calling of my life? Scripture's funny because it talks a little bit about calling, just a little bit, but it talks a lot more, not about calling, but about the people that God wants us to be the servants he wants us to be, the leaders he wants us to be, the the neighbors and friends and husbands and wives that he wants us to be. But it does talk a little bit about calling. There's there's a preacher, his name's Stephen Furtick. Have you ever heard of him? A few of you guys know him. He's always asked me for sermon advice all the time. I'm just kidding. People are always like, do you know him? No, I don't know him, okay? He has, he has way more important things to do than to hang out with us. But he's incredible. And he was talking last week. He said this, and I love this. He said this, he said, you don't need to find your calling. Your calling will find you. And I said, that's good because I think we spend so much time worrying and being fearful and sweating and just being so stressed about, God, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing this? I think we need to spend less time focusing. Am I doing the right thing? And asking, am I being the right kind of person? Because you might want, you might have this spouse in mind, rather than say, God, send me this spouse, send me this spouse. We should think this, we should say, hey, how can I be the kind of person who that spouse wants to marry? Right? You feel me? Same with our kids. We spend so much time worrying our kids are crazy, they're driving me crazy. God, God, help me with my kids. God, help them stop doing this, help them start doing that. But what if rather than praying that, we prayed, God, make, make me the kind of parent who can be patient with his kids, who can talk to his children, who can love them the way they need to be loved. I think we need a little shift. Because I think our main focus is where we are, where we are, not who we are. But I think God is far more concerned about who we are becoming than where we are going. Let me say that again. I think God is far more concerned with who we are becoming than where we are going. And I think that's reflected in his word. When you pray, when you talk, when you vent, let me ask you, what is the focus? Is it your surroundings or your soul? Is it your circumstances or your character? Because I know where I land. This is what I want to tell you. God is more concerned with who we are becoming than where we're going. And we're in a series called Love Does. It's the finale. We've been talking about love because scripture says God is love. And if we want to be like him and love our neighbors and love the city and love our family, we need to learn how to love like he loves. Week one, we talked about how love goes. We talked about how love stays. We talked about last week that love fights. And finally, this week, we're talking about how love gives. If you want to love, you have to give. Now, if you want to get fit, you got to have a plan. you got to have a workout plan. You've never seen someone who was just jacked up and they were just naturally born that way. They have a plan. They have a discipline plan that they execute and it works and it's incredible. The same is with financial fitness. Some of you, every January, you say, this is the year things are going to change. We're going to get in shape this year. We're going to have our finances in order this year. But you don't change a single thing. Scripture says we got a budget. we got a plan. we got to save. we got to give. We have to have a plan in the mix. No one ever won the Super Bowl. And afterward, they're getting interviewed and somebody said, how's it feel to be here? And they said, you know what? I don't know how this happened. I didn't try that hard. I'm kind of a lazy dude. That's never happened because so much of their life is focused and intentioned to that purpose. If you want to get your finances in order, you need a plan. 
Now, something we talk about here, which is new, we do this class called Financial Peace University. It's incredible. It's amazing. I want this to be a part of our culture. I want someone to be in this class constantly because it really helps us. We come along inside each other in a group. And maybe that's you. Maybe you need to join up next semester or in the fall. But we're talking about giving today. Let me give you a little caveat. When I'm talking about giving, some of you aren't going to hear me because you don't know me. You don't trust me. You don't even believe in God. Now, let me say this. If this is your church, consider giving to the church. But if this is not your church, if you're trying to figure that out, or if you don't even know if you believe in God, I want to challenge you. You don't have to give to this church. Give somewhere, though. Give somewhere. Give to World Vision. Give to 99 for the one. Give to the homeless. I I don't care where you give. Because some of y'all, the second I start talking about giving, you're going to shut down. You're going to say, I don't know him. Who's this dude? Why are my arms doing this? I don't don't know that guy. Who's he? Tell me how to spend my money. Tell me how to do this. Are we even in a middle school? Why is it so high? I don't want that to be your mind processes through all this. So let me just say, if this is your church, if you're a believer, okay, I want you to consider giving to your church. If it's not, that's okay. That's fine, but give somewhere, okay? So even if you don't believe in God, even if you're like, I'm an atheist, I don't care. Someone dragged me here. I think still the world will be a better place if we're more generous if we give. So that's what I want you to hear today. Let's go to the text, shall we? Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Somebody say, bad idea. (laughs) Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Somebody say, good question. Okay, good, good question. But also I wanted to tell you, that's a good question, but that's also a really bad question. The way it's phrased is wrong. Notice what he says. What must I do? He puts the burden all on himself. What list do I got to check? What good deeds do I have to do? What prayer do I got to pray? What can I do to earn my way to heaven? If you know anything about religion or Christianity, people always say, oh, they're all the same. It's just the same stuff. Christianity is actually very different because religion says this. This guy had a religion mindset. What do I do? Where's the ladder I got to climb? Where's the hill I got to go? up? What can I do to climb up to God? Christianity is not mankind reaching up to God. It's God reaching down to humankind. It's completely different. The direction is completely different. So this guy had a good question, but at the same time, it's the wrong question. Jesus redirects him. What's written in the law? He replied. That's the Old Testament. That's the only Bible they had. He said, well, what's written there? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Essentially this, love God with all you've got, love your neighbor with all you've got. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. Now, Jesus says this, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Now, Jesus is someone who is always steeped in controversy. Nothing's ever easy. Nothing's ever simple. Nothing's ever straightforward. And it appears when you read this, he asks him, well, what does the law say? It says to love God and love people. And Jesus is like, yup. So you think we can move on. But if you look a little deeper, this guy has got to realize, wait a second, I can't do that. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Nobody can do that. Nobody can perfectly love God with all they've got and perfectly love their neighbor as themselves. That's not even impossible for a day. That's probably not even impossible for an hour, let alone your entire life. This introduces attention. You see, the rabbis back in the day, I guess they had nothing better to do, but they would argue. There were 613 commands in the Old Testament and they would argue, which is the most important, which is the best, which summarizes the rest. How are we going to treat this? How are we going to do that? They would often argue, and this was a consensus. 
To summarize all 613, we say two things. Love God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. The point is that we can't. This guy, you can tell he was a self-justifier. He wanted to prove it. He was a hard worker. He wanted to earn it. Some of the, some of the men in the room, when there's a problem, you just say, I got it, honey. I don't fix it. You don't, you don't listen. You try to fix it. Where are the men at? Don't you lie to me. Your wife is telling you a problem, a situation. And before you even let her finish talking, you're like, oh, you should have done this. That's this dude. He's like, I got it. Just, just, just to do this. He's trying to justify himself. He asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Meaning, you don't mean everybody. I can't love everybody, right? So Jesus, like any good teacher, he tells a story. He tells a story. The question is this, don't miss it. The question is, how do I love? How do I love God? How do I love my neighbor? The answer is this story. Here's this story. Jesus said this, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. I wanted to tell somebody today, it's easy to get beat down on the journey. This describes each and every single one of us at some point in life. It does. It absolutely does. Maybe this is where you are right now. Maybe this is where you were. Maybe you're thinking, I've never been there. Well, it's where you're going at some point. There's always a point emotionally, relationally. Maybe it's your divorce. Maybe it's that addiction that nobody knows about. Maybe it's that career advancement you just can't grasp. But at some point in life, we all find ourselves just like this person on the side of the road, beat down, exhausted, naked. That means shamed with nowhere to turn. Jesus is giving us a very different picture of what religion is supposed to be, if you've noticed. Because this guy is kind of implying what a lot of you are implying, no, no offense, but a lot of you think, I'm a pretty good dude. I'm a pretty good lady. I'm a pretty good mom. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I just need Jesus to give me a little sprinkle. I need a little sprinkle of Jesus. Just a touch. I'm pretty good. I just need a little help. I'm a little impatient sometimes. Mm, just need a little help here, a little help there, and I'll be good. Jesus is saying no. Your state, apart from God, is this, in a ditch. Now, that is not what this dude wanted to hear. And whether you're going through a tough time or not, Scripture says it's spiritually we were all dead in our sins. Not a little unwell in our sins, not sick in our sins, not, I'm about feeling 50-50 today. It says dead. Now, you need to understand a dead person cannot resuscitate him or herself. Essentially, if God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't get in the mix, if God doesn't come and pick us up and help us, there's absolutely no hope for us. Now, I don't know if this dude is unconscious. I don't know if he's laying there and he can't see, but there's good news because someone's coming along the path. It says a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Oh, come on, that's funny. You're laying there, you're like, oh, a priest, thank God. And the priest is like, oh Lord, I'm getting out of here, right? He runs away. You ever been in the mall? Y'all are looking at me. I would never do that. You ever be in the mall and the people with the Dead Sea salt want to rub your hands? You know what I'm saying? And you get on, you pretend you're on the phone. Don't you lie to me. You're like, oh, snap. Uh, Mother Teresa's calling. I got to take, I got, hello? And you do the fake phone call. I, don't you lie. Everyone's on the phone passing by those people. That's what happens. This, way, this came from this guy. He's the originator of the whole thing. This poor dude, the priest is like, I don't have time for this. So unfortunately, he walks by, but look, it's okay. Because look, another priest, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. This guy's expectations keep going up and they're disappointed. They keep going up and they're disappointed. I wanted to ask you, has religion failed you? 
Has religion failed you? Some of you have been trying so hard to be a good person, to please God, to earn your way. That's where it's going to leave you. You're going to get your hopes up. Oh, this is going to get me out of the ditch finally. And you're going to be exactly where you started, just more disappointed. I want to take it a little deeper. I'm going to scratch into some stuff with this. Has, has the church disappointed you? Has the church let you down? Has the church, have you seen a church like, this is great, this is great. I'm going to be a part of this church. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be good. Going to be tight with Jesus. Going to use my gift. And then right there in the ditch once again. The church has a tendency to chew people up and spit them out. It really does. It's really hard. It's really unfortunate. And you, we, we, we should be a part of a church. We should be connected. But we need to realize when we are trusting human leaders instead of Christ, we're just going to be disappointed. When we trust someone who's fallible, who has pride, who has issues, who's still in the process, if we give them the role that only Jesus can do, which is get us up out of the mud, brokenness is going to follow. Brokenness is going to follow. We don't know why these priests didn't stop because we always have excuses not to give. I know that. It doesn't say why. Um, in those 613 laws in the Old Testament I was telling you about, one says you, you shouldn't touch a dead body, you'll become unclean. So some people think, oh, it was unclean, the guy's probably dead anyway, I can't become unclean. It was a religious reason. Some people say they were just busy, they, they were just busy, or maybe they were scared, maybe they were older, and they're like, that guy got jumped, he looks bigger than me, what do we do to me? The robber's got to be nearby, I'm out of here, peace. We all have excuses not to give. You, you, as in you in your seat, you have an excuse not to give financially to others. You do. You have kids. You got hospital bills. You got car payments. You got plans for the future. You got vacations. You got stuff coming up. We all have an excuse not to give. 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Maybe you're new to church, maybe you're not, but the Samaritans were a group of people who lived north of, of, of Jerusalem, north of Judah, and they and God's people didn't get along. It was partly a racial issue. It was partly this, 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 uh, you know, this political issue. There were some wars fought. The Samaritans were on the opposite side. There was a lot of tension. Um, the, <laughs> it's kind of sad. The Jews went up to Samaria one time and they burned their temple to the ground because they had their own temple and they ravaged the territory and came back. And then around Jesus's birth, the Samaritans snuck into Jerusalem. They snuck into the temple. You might not know this. And they brought a bunch of bones with them and they just threw the bones around the temple to make it ceremonially unclean. This is like a large scale prank war going wrong. So if I'm a Jew and I'm laying down and I see a Samaritan coming, I'm like, oh gosh, you. Like you expect the Samaritan to be like, hey, buddy, can I help you? Gotcha, sucker, woo, and walk away. Or maybe you expect the Samaritan to say, oh, can I help you? And he's got one of those little buzzers on his hands. And he's like, oh, let me pick you up, zap. The priest let me down. The other priest let me down. Great, a Samaritan, look what's gonna happen. But when he saw him, he took pity on him. Because you need to know love stops. Love isn't too busy. Love makes margin. Love has time. If you're going about your day, and sometimes you'll be doing this, and it's weird. You'll be having lunch or doing scrolling on Instagram, and a friend will just jump into your brain. You haven't talked to them in weeks. You don't know. They just jump into your brain. But love stops. Love stops what we're doing. And we send them a text. We say, hey, just a little, hey, I just prayed for you. Just saying, hey, just wanted to see what's going on. That person, nine times out of ten, I, I promise, they'll be like, I was having a rough week. It's crazy that you texted me. God will put someone on your heart. And he says, pray for him right now. And if we're busy, we miss the opportunity. But you need to understand love stops. Love is why the Samaritan stopped. 
Love isn't too busy. Love isn't too busy when you're at Whole Foods, getting your fresh avocados, getting your kombucha, you bunch of hipsters. When you meet someone and you have a conversation, love will sometimes be like, hey, invite him to church, bring him to church. Love stops what we're doing and say, hey, this is, you know, maybe it's not your thing, but hey, I got this church. You should come. It'll be a good time. Donuts, coffee, come, come hang out. Love stops. Love stops. Look what he did. 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Do you see the cost of love? Because love gives. Do you see how expensive this was? Because I'm the type, I'd be like, oh, here's a 20. I'm out. I got to go. And we'll be like, I was a good person. I did something kind. I did something nice. Do you see how far love goes? Not only does love stop, but love gives. Love picked this dude up, put him in his own vehicle, took him. He covered him with oil. He bandaged him up. That's expensive. He took his time. The dude was going somewhere, business, family. He stopped. Whatever, whatever, whatever client he was going to meet, he, he canceled it. There was financial loss. Okay, there was a loss of time. He took him to the inn. He, this guy could have, this Samaritan could have got totally played, taken advantage of. He said, look, I'll cover your room. I'll cover your food. As long as it takes, add it to my tab. That's a, that's a big cost. Love gives. Love gives. Why are we going to talk about giving today? Y'all are like, can we talk about something better? I don't want to talk about this. Some of y'all would rather talk about the border wall than giving. You're like, let's, let's think of something less controversial. The wall sounds good. <laughs> You're like, let's, 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 put, let's do a poll. Let's go pro-wall, anti-wall. Some of y'all would be more comfortable talking about that than giving. We get weird, but you need to realize this. Don't miss this. Jesus says this is one of the ways we love. When they say, how do I love God? How do I love my neighbor? Jesus tells them a story. He's like, this is how you do it. Like this, like that. Y'all, giving is hard. Everyone hates talking about it. We, a lot of us struggle with money, but I think God doesn't want you to limp through life. Jesus talked 10 times more about greed than he did adultery because you don't know when you're greedy, but you know darn well when you're committing adultery. If you, you know you're committing adultery, you don't look in your bed and be like, oh gosh, you're not my wife. I don't know how this happened. You know when you're committing adultery, but greed is tricky. Nobody quite feels greedy, but you need to understand this. This is scary, but this is real. 10% of Christians give financially the way scripture says to. 10%. This isn't 10% of the population. This is 10% of people who are, are believers and who go to church and are Christians. Could you imagine if 10% of Christians were faithful to their spouse? Like, could you imagine if 90% of Christians cheated on their wife, husband, it's fine regularly. Yo, this is an epidemic. This is a problem, but we don't like to talk about it. It makes us a little uncomfortable, so we don't. And the problem is the trend is going down. During the Great Depression, Christians gave an average of 3.3%. Now we give about 2.5%. So we give a third less now than your grandpappy or whoever did in the Great Depression. They gave more when they had nothing. And let's be honest, okay? Life is a little easier now than it was then, okay? The cars have never been nicer. Your house is nicer. We got AC. We got smartphones. We have all this great stuff. But for some reason, we still give less than ever before. That's why we got to talk about this because it's an important thing. What should we give? The scripture talks about this thing called the tithe. The tithe is the goal. The tithe is the base. The tithe means 10% of your increase. Y'all said, what? Hmm? 
Did you say 10 cents? No, I said 10%. Did you say $10? It says 10%. I didn't write it. I didn't make this up. This is what scripture says. The idea really isn't giving. It's more returning. We talk about giving, and I think it's, our, I think it's the church's fault because we say, oh, would you consider giving? Would you give to this? Would you give to that? Scripture doesn't really treat it as giving. It treats it as returning. It treats it like this. God is saying, look, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you ability. I'm going to give you a, a nation, an economy, an opportunity, a job, a paycheck, health. I'm going to give you everything. I'm just going to ask for a little bit back to bless the world through you. So we, we can be the light of the world, so we can shine light in dark places, so we can shine the, so we can give hope to, to the hopeless, so we can breathe life into situations they thought were long dead. That's God's plan. That's his strategy. But we say mine. We say no. I think sometimes God wants to bless an area of your life, but we do not surrender it to him. I think he does. I think he wants to do more in your finances. I think he wants to do more in your life. But apparently 90% of us are saying no. You ever have a kid and it drives you crazy? You let them use a smartphone for a little bit and then all of a sudden it's their smartphone. You know what I'm saying? See, I used to not tithe. I used to give a little bit in my 20s. I'd be like, I'll give a little bit here. I used to say tithing is for rich people. Not me. I'll tithe later. I'll tithe when I have more money. Not, Not right now. I can't afford that junk. Are you kidding me? But sometimes we'll give, Helen and I will give our little, our little three-year-old, we'll give him the phone. You say, watch one show. And he's so thankful, yay. And then soon he's like, it's mine. One time we went to Helen, he said, where's my iPad? My, where's my iPad? We said, excuse me? Who's? Who paid for the bill? Who paid for the thing? You didn't build it. You didn't create it. It's not yours, but you were claiming ownership of it. That's what we do to God. And I know this is hard, and I know if the heat isn't getting you, you're starting to sweat, but this is what happens. See, let's say you're an apple farmer. Let's say you have an orchard, and this is how tithing works. And let's say you're picking your apples, and every 10 you pick, you give one to God. You give one, and he can use it to feed the poor or build this or build that. He can do whatever he wants. Every 100 bushels, you give 10. Every 1,000 bushels, you give 100. That's one out of 10. It's simple. And so this is what it looks like, right? You, you know, you pick 10 and you, before you do anything with them, before you have a nibble, before you have a bite, you say, God, I picked this for you. This is the best I got. I want you to use it. I want you to bless it. And as a result, God takes that, but he blesses the nine. And you need to understand something. I learned this the hard way, but God, you can do more in your life if God blesses the nine apples than if you hoard the 10 for yourself. Nine with God's hand on it is better than 10 with you leading it. You need to understand that. And that's a big realization because it's hard for us to let go. A friend of mine said one time, God can't bless that which we do not surrender. God can't bless it unless we lay it at his feet and we give it to him and we give him ownership. But we don't like to do that. We don't like to do that. We honestly, and this is funny to say, but we look at the creator and sustainer of the universe and we say, these 10 are better in my hands than nine in yours. And that sounds silly to say, but that honest to God is what we're saying. It's what we're thinking. He wants to bless it. You need to realize everything God touches multiplies. Everything he touches, everything he's involved with, if that's your marriage, if that's your joy, if that's your finances. But somewhere deep down, we're so control freaks. We think I can do it myself. This is how we do it. This is how I used to do it. This is probably how you do it. We don't give the first, the first one of 10. We don't give 10%. We say, okay, I got my 10 apples. Okay, two are going to the mortgage, two to car payment, two are going over here, two is margarita night. Hey, okay, we got to go to Chipotle, got to get some drinks. Oh, my golden doodle needs another sweater. Okay, there. Doing this, and then it's the end of the month, and you're like, Oh gosh, we've been going to that church. I feel kind of guilty. 
we should give. Oh, here we go. Here you go, God. Ta-da! This is why I got you. God doesn't want this. God will use this. God will. God, God, God can work through this. God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants your best. He doesn't want a little bit of you. He wants all of you. And if you constantly say, look, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, I want to serve you, but you withhold a major part of your life, he can't do that. I think I know why he said 10%. I think he knew we would suck at math. (laughs) Could you imagine if he was like, you give 6.43%, we'd be like, oh gosh, what? I don't, it's just too much. God, I just can't, I just can't do it. It's easy, you just slide the decimal. If you sell a house or a car or a boat and you get $2,000 commission, you slide the decimal, boom, give 200. Even I can do that math. You got a paycheck, it came in, it's $4,000. Slide the decimal, boom, give 400. You see, a lot of us trick ourselves into thinking, I'll give when we have more money. That was my excuse. It was a good one too. I'll give when I have more money. I'll give when we have more money, but we miss out on a blessing. We miss out on opportunity. That's like saying, I'll be a better husband when my marriage is better. That's what we're saying. I'll give when my finances are better. I'll be a better parent when my kids start behaving. You don't need to understand it's all linked together. It's absolutely linked together. This is what we say. We say, God, bless my marriage. Please work on my marriage. God, give, give us unity. Give us closeness. Now, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm not going to be in a group. I'm not going to pray with my spouse. I'm not going to love her. I'm not going to submit to her. I'm not going to do any of that, but God, bless my marriage. That's what we do with money. We say, God, bless my finances. I'm sick of living paycheck to paycheck. Now, I'm not going to give. No, I'm not going to save. I'm not going to budget. I'm not going to do any of this, but God, bless my finances. You're saying, God, I know better, but I want you to bless them. We're not asking God. We're not submitting to him. We're just asking him for a little favor. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you're wondering, well, okay, if I give here, what, what's going on? Because of your generosity, because of your giving, um, you know, that, that, that goes to us even being able to be in this building. It goes to our staff. We've been able to do some cool stuff we'd love to celebrate. Other than supporting the poor, we're able to, this week we're buying our, a new trailer, a new 16-foot trailer, which we're excited about. Do we have a picture? Yes. New trailer. This is housing kids expansion because kids keeps blowing up, which is great. Kids is exploding. We have some new production, some lights coming, and we have a new thing called Next Steps. Next Steps is coming. This is a class, even though nobody wants to call it a class. It's a class. It's an environment where people are learning the basics of the faith. They're learning their gift. They're learning leadership potential. They're really kind of funneling into the church and getting connected. We're so excited about that. And it's because of your generosity. It is. We, we checked the podcast last year. I don't know who these people are. We had 5,367 podcast downloads. I don't know who's listening to the podcast. Somebody's listening to the podcast. It's cool. Alaska, Colorado, military folks all over the world. We're excited about that. And because of your generosity and our team growing, we're able to, uh, we actually dropped the YouTube channel this week, which we're really excited about. So you've always been able to listen, but now you can watch my sweaty self on YouTube. And this is how you do that. If you just go to YouTube, you can make an account through Google or just click to sign in. But this is a way to spread the word. Or if you miss a sermon, or if you want to watch another one, or if you just want to see how sweaty I am, you can do that. Woo! Um, you can definitely do that. We've seen dozens and dozens of people come to faith. We've seen, my favorite number is we've seen 65 people baptized since we've launched. That is a celebration. And the whole point is that because you're giving, God is working. It's as simple as that. Check this out. 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, look, the one who had mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. He says, how do I love? How do I love God? How do I love others? Jesus says, this is how you do it. Go and do likewise. He's turning it on us. But let's just be real. Why is giving so hard? 
Why did I struggle with giving? Why do you struggle with giving? Why do 90% of us struggle with giving? I think the reason why is because deep down, we feel like God didn't do that much for us. He did something and I'm thankful, but we feel like, you know, I'm pretty good. I just needed a little help. We don't feel like this person, this man or woman at the side of the road, deserted, hopeless, unless God intervenes. But that is how scripture paints it. In order for us to understand this, we got to look back to verse 30. Let's pull it up. This is the key to the passage. In reply, Jesus said this. He said, look, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That's all of us. That's you, that's me, that's all of us in that story. That's where we are apart from God. But you need to know God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He sent his only son into this world to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death. Jesus lived as his perfect, obedient life to God and he died as our substitute. What do I mean by that? Well, we sinned, we've gone down our own path, we've turned from God. And when you sin, when you go down your own path, you end up like that naked, beaten, ashamed, just desperate. Jesus came and on the cross, he took that on our behalf so that we may have access to the Father. What you need to understand is this passage, this verse is the exact opposite of the cross. Look at it. Jesus didn't go from Jerusalem to Jericho. He went from Jericho to Jerusalem. And see, you have every excuse not to give, but you need to understand Jesus Christ had every single excuse not to give, every excuse to stay in heaven by the side of his father in comfort and blessing and eternal peace. But he came down here because he loves you so much. Look, this is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Who am I talking about? This man or Jesus on the cross? They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. You need to understand Jesus Christ died in our place. On the cross, Jesus was left naked so that you and I could be clothed by God's goodness, by his mercy, by his love. On the cross, Jesus was beaten. By his stripes, we are healed. He was beaten so you and I could be healed and restored. On the cross, just like this man, Jesus was abandoned. He was abandoned by his family, by his friends. He was abandoned by God the Father himself because of our sin. But you see, Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that you and I could be brought into the family. And it says this man was left half dead. Jesus Christ on the cross, he was not left half dead. Jesus was left fully dead so you and I could be made fully alive. That's what he's trying to show us. That's what love does. Jesus is trying to say, you want to see love? You want to have your heart changed? You have to love how I love. You have to go all the way. And he says, go and do likewise. The last night of Jesus' life, he sat down with his followers. He wanted them to get the sacrifice, really to understand what was going on. It's called the Last Supper. It's what we're celebrating today. He took bread and he broke it. He gave it to them and said, look, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup of wine, he poured it out and he said, hey, this is my blood, which is about to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. What we're doing today is this ancient tradition, this ritual reminding us of how good God is, how much he loves us, and that he died for us. In just a few seconds, we're gonna go back to a time of worship. And during that time, I challenge you to come forward. If you're a believer, if you want to today, we even have gluten-free options on the side for you because we love you that much, baby. We do. If you're not a believer, if you don't understand, or if you're not ready, don't come forward. I just want you to wait until you fully grasp what God's doing. But when the music starts, you can come forward with an open hand. Don't take it yet, receive it forward, and then go back along the walls, back to your seats. We'll take it together. Let us pray and let us seek his face. Father God, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that Jesus was left naked so we could be fully clothed. 
We thank you that Jesus was beaten so that we could be healed. We thank you that Jesus was abandoned so that we could be welcomed in the family. We thank you that Jesus Christ, he wasn't left half dead. He was left fully dead so that we could be made fully alive. Father God, may we understand that. May that pierce our hearts today. And as we come forward, maybe reflect on how good you are, how kind you are, and how generous you are to us. In your son's sweet name we pray. Amen. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.